Welcome to the Messiantics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Thanks for joining us again this week. We have a really interesting opportunity to sit down and chat with uh, our good friends Petra and Gary Scott, uh, who run the Road to Jerusalem, which is a phenomenal ministry, and I'm not going to go into all the details of what it is, because we want to give them room to uh, to share about the road on their own and uh, and explain more about it. But we're excited to chat with them. They've got a very uh, similar heart to uh, to each of our congregations and are very dear to us. Uh, as well. And so we're going to dive into our chat with them and uh, let it roll from there. So Gary and uh, Petra, if you guys will go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself, share a little bit about your your background and who you are, and uh, then we'll roll from there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll go first. I am Petra Scott. Uh, My maiden name is Petra Washington. I am uh, the daughter of one of the OGs. I like to call them OGs in the faith. Uh, my dad, Dr. Raleigh Washington, um, he and Coach Bill McCartney uh, really pioneered the way for Gary and I to do and carry out the mantle that we have now in this season with the road to Jerusalem. And so um, I come from a ministry family and I have accepted and embraced uh, for many years now, but in ministry close to over 20 years and uh, have just fallen head over heels in love with Yeshua. And I'm so excited to be carrying out the ministry of the road to Jerusalem, reconciling believers to the Lord and then to each other, starting with Jew and Gentile, working on everybody else from there. Um, So that's a little bit about me. I'll turn it over to Gary. And then I'm Gary. I am married to Petra. (laughs) Um, And so I've been in ministry roughly a little bit over 15 years now. I've been walking with the Lord for about 20. Um, once I caught hold of the movement and then Yeshua, um, just my job and my mission is to come alongside Petra and also just to make it really practical to the marginalized. And so really just putting in work, you know, in the highways and the byways to make sure the voiceless have a voice and that they all experience the love of Yeshua. Awesome, awesome. So tell us a little bit about the Road to Jerusalem, what it is, what its purpose is, and and particularly uh, talk briefly about the transition over the past couple of years from Dr. Raleigh to you guys running, to Petra as the president and CEO, and the direction that you see the road going from here. Awesome. So the Road to Jerusalem has been around since 2003. Uh, Just very quick origin story of the road. In 1996... Uh, promise keepers following their march or, or gathering on the mall in Washington, D.C. It was the largest gathering of Christian um, and believing men in the world. Following that, they had a pastor's conference at the Georgia Dome in 96. And at this pastor's conference in 96, they did a demonstration on stage uh, to kind of show this beautiful picture of unity across all lines within the kingdom and during that demonstration they called up every race ethnicity you could think of but what was missing from that demonstration were messianic jewish believers and many of them were present at that conference on that weekend and so following that experience rabbi uh 
Robert Solomon, who's Rabbi Kevin Solomon's father, requested an audience with my dad and Coach McCartney. And he said, hey, you know, you forgot about us. And Coach said to him in, in the true Coach McCartney fashion, he said, well, who are you? And, you know, from there, Rabbi Robert began to explain who Messianic Jews were, what the Messianic Jewish community was, God's heart for Israel and the nations. And my dad and coach were deeply impacted and floored. And from there, coach told my dad, Wally, find out more about who they are and what our role is to come alongside them. And from there, my dad and coach birthed the road to Jerusalem when they discovered uh, the Messianic Jewish community, when they discovered that what was missing from their seminary experience was this revelation of Romans 9, 10, and 11. They, they would often say it's as if those passages were omitted <laughs> from seminaries and theological discussions and when they really learned and understood uh, the value and the context of being grafted in and in John 17 God's prayer really highlighting these and those being one um, they said we have to have a ministry where we're opening the eyes of the Gentile church to this revelation of being in relationship with the Jewish community but also what one new humanity slash one new man is and its impact on the kingdom and so in 2004, um, I was invited to, to really partake in what the ministry was doing. And in that moment, I had the, the moment I went to the First World to Jerusalem conference, I had this kind of eye-opening experience. I had what I would call my awakening, and I realized, man, I really knew Yeshua Jesus in his divinity. But I had no idea who he was in his humanity as a Jewish man, and I had no context of his people. So from there, uh, I became a part of the road to Jerusalem and supporting what my father and coach were doing. And it was just really about just educating pastors, uh, even nonprofit parachurch organizations on who is the Messianic Jew? What is the Messianic movement? And what's our role in relationship to them? So if we fast forward from 2003 all the way up, until 2022 in april of 2022 my father who is going to be 85 this year um and still got but he has a whole bunch of pep in his step <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's still very active in ministry but god made it abundantly clear it was time for him to pass the mantle of the road to jerusalem on to me and the 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 basis of that was he said coach and i really embrace and understand how to communicate and educate on the relationship between Jew and Gentile. He said, but Petra, something I've watched you do in ministry is you've really harnessed how to demonstrate this unity. And in demonstrating it, it really brings people into a deeper understanding of the power of the relationship between Jew and Gentile and how it can transform the, the kingdom, but how it's at the epicenter of everything that's kingdom related. And so we have been um, accepting that call, that mantle. My vision going forward for the ministry that I believe the Lord has downloaded is really using uh, the context of appointed times to introduce through those ministry experiences using appointed times to introduce the church and the Gentile community to what I call the practical 
power and presence of God when Jew and Gentile demonstrate appointed times together. What does that look like? We do urban Shabbats. We call it the table. We take Shabbat to urban communities. We don't do it alone. We invite our Messianic brothers and sisters to demonstrate with us. And what that does is it provides an opportunity for people to come into healing and understanding what it means to be a son and daughter of the Lord. Uh, But it also exposes them to something Jesus did every week, which was Shabbat. Um, And then when they see us demonstrating it as Jew and Gentile, it really brings about an anointing and a power um, where you really feel like you're experiencing heaven on earth. And we do that as well with satyrs we do that as well with just partnering with the messianic community speaking life and pouring into um everything that we are championing everything that we we can about uh the importance of of being in relationship with messianic believers so i when i heard about what you were doing in the road to jerusalem i I was around when your dad started road to jerusalem and got everything going but one of the things that I find fascinating about what you're doing, and by the way, for those that were just listening to Petra talk about the table, they're actually doing one this Friday in, uh, I believe yeah. it's in Jacksonville. So if you uh, go to their social media, you can find out more about that. But one of the things I found fascinating is that Road to Jerusalem really began with a vision of introducing uh, Christians, the people from the church, with Messianic Judaism. But the problem with an introduction-only model is it's kind of like if you bring two friends together and you say, hey, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, I wanted you guys to meet, but there nothing was presented to do after that. Yeah. Where Road to Jerusalem's growing vision is we want to introduce, in, in my opinion, we want to introduce the church to Messianic Judaism, Messianic Judaism to the church, understanding what that is, but then give them something they can do together uh, that enhances that and builds the relationship. So, yes. so uh, you mentioned the word goal earlier. Your your goal and it includes these tables and things. So, sh- share your short term and your long term goals uh, for things that, that people can do. People like us or people from a church to be involved with Road to Jerusalem and to uh, to build this, okay, now that you've met, here's what you can do together to enhance the kingdom. Awesome. Thank you for that, Rabbi. Uh, yes, so the short-term goal that we're working on now is to really build and establish our Road to Jerusalem ambassador program. And what that looks like is it looks like believers both gentile and jewish no matter where you are no matter what state or even country that you're located in having a commitment to wanting to see a demonstration happen in their city or their region so what the ambassadors would do is the ambassadors would go through and equipping and training with us as the road to jerusalem on how to effectively execute a table um, in your city community uh, with a church or with a messianic congregation how to do it in a sensitive loving way where no one's appropriating uh, a jewish culture but really giving honor to its foundation and doing it properly in the right context but also um, for those that are, are a part of the messianic community understanding um, where to compromise with the Gentile community in, in the context of, hey, we may have some 
elements in there that are uh, familiar to people that have more of that Gentile church background and really seeing the two fused together. So once we would equip those ambassadors, then we would really support them, champion them, and even be a part of their first joint event in doing a table, whether it's in an urban community or just a community that has need or desire to see this demonstration take place. So that's the short term goal. The long term goal um, is really to equip what I call urban indigenous missional leaders in communities and places. I mean, what would happen? Y'all just could dream with me for a minute, brothers. What would happen if you have a Gentile urban missionary and a Messianic come together to say we're committed to demonstrating the power of God, working together to transform this particular community or this particular area? And in that relationship, the impact that they can have in the broken places of American society, right, uh, can begin to influence not just that community, but then the city, then the state, and then the world. And so what I, I deeply believe in, in the long-term goal is I believe if Yeshua was walking around here today, whether it was in another country or whether it was in the U.S., he would be in the places where brokenness, where hurt, where the outcasts, where the marginalized are. He would be in those spaces and places healing and being all of who he is. And so if there is a way that we can equip urban indigenous missionaries, both Jew and Gentile, to serve communities, the residual impact of that, I believe, is catastrophic and, and can really impact the kingdom and the world. And I also see that model being effective in the broken places globally as well. Hey, Petra, this is to, uh, Rabbi Toby. How you doing? Um, uh, we've we've met a few times. Um I'm Rabbi David's assistant rabbi at uh, CMC, um, and I, we met because I brought you a uh, pizza at the Southeast. Yes. Yeah, I'm the pizza guy. <laughs> oh, a rabbi that knows how to serve is a rabbi that's won oh. me over. Oh, thank. You. <laughs> uh, this is uh, and it, uh, just I just want to get your perspective on this, and, and maybe uh, you or Gary had some experiences because um, I am I was raised in the Baptist Church until I was. Oh, like in college, and I got called into Messianic Judaism. I walked into a Messianic synagogue when I was 25, and I've not looked back, long story short. Um, and over the years, that was back in 2005, so it's been almost 20 years that I've been in the Messianic movement. And in, in that time, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, bear with me, I, I promise I'm getting somewhere. Uh, in that time, I've seen two types of believing non-Jews, Gentiles, two types of believing Gentiles. Uh, there are those that are in the church, and you, you, and they, and they think, "I love Israel." Well, I love Israel. Um, this is cool stuff. Uh, we'll get a lot of people from churches, even that come to our Passover seder's, and they come to our high holy day services, and that's wonderful because they just want to see it, they want to experience it, and then we don't see them. You know, which is yeah. again, and some of them are plugged into churches. They're just as saved as I am, just as loved by God, just as valued. The same Spirit given without measure to us through the sacrifice of Yeshua. And then there's guys like me, who 
I was raised in the church. I had the Messiah, but when I walked into a Messianic synagogue, I'd already spiritually crossed over from death to life. But then you run into these Gentiles who, who experience Messianic Judaism. They're like, oh, I don't just want to learn about this. I want to live it. I want to be like I want to be like Ruth. Your people shall be my people. Your 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 God shall be shall be my God. And yeah. you know I'm not a pastor. I'm a rabbi. Um, still hard for me to say. I hope it stays difficult for me to say. But I'm just saying I wear sitsits. Um, I don't identify as an ethnic Jew. That's I'm not appropriating a, a physical Jewish identity to myself. I'm 100 percent Gentile. I think that that's powerful for a Messianic yeah. Gentile's testimony. Um, oh yeah. I've also encountered two types of attitudes in Messianic Judaism from Messianic Jews, ethnic Jews. Most have been really positive. Hey, that's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. And then every now and then you run into, well, you know, you don't need to do that. Well, you know, you need to be careful because, you know, you don't really need to do this stuff because, I mean, you know, the the Jewish identity is important. And, and, well, you know, uh, and and some Messianic congregations uh, impose some limitations on Gentiles within their own community. I just want to ask you what you guys' experiences have been doing the road. Uh, when you meet Gentiles who are like, oh, I don't, I don't, I not only want to have Shabbat dinner, tell me more. I want to, I want to, I want to do all this stuff because you do meet those and maybe, yeah. and has the road ever encountered maybe even Jewish, Messianic Jewish attitudes that are like, well, hold on now. You know, they don't need to do all that stuff, you know. They can stay where they're at because I didn't want to stay where I was at when I was, you know, just a believer going to church and stuff, you know. I wanted I wanted it all. I wanted at the buffet, I wanted everything on my plate. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Wow. Toby, I think that's an amazing question. Um, I, I want to say this. I want to say uh, right when we started the road to Jerusalem, because I love what you just tapped into, I would say is maybe the number one question slash topic that we get asked about or even asked to mediate um, about within this this realm of ministry i'll call it the realm of one new man you know one new humanity ministry um but let me let me just back up when we first started the road to jerusalem something that was very valuable that my dad did was we experienced what we call our little symposium or crash course and it was called the minefields of messianic ministry and Jonathan Burness really spearheaded training and equipping us with what are some of these issues that will come up the minute you start talking about the Messianic community. What are the different types of, you know, minefields or theologies that are out there? And yes, we have dealt with them all. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it in in the most simplistic way that I can. What I have found is a couple of things. I have found that anytime you're talking about ministry of unity between Jew and Gentile, it is the most intense area of spiritual warfare I've ever seen in all of the faith. That's awesome. I'm talking about, I have been a part of seeing people uh, um, uh, be healed from demonic possessions. I have done ministry where I've seen crack pipes on altars, guns on altars, And it would get intense, but we would, you know, usher in the presence of the Lord. You would see healing and deliverance. But I have never in my life seen warfare like the warfare that pops up around anti-Semitic attitudes 
or or attitudes within deep rooted mindsets in Gentile churches when it comes to Israel and this relationship. So let me preface it with that, um, because at the at the end of the day, I believe that that it is rooted in the enemy not wanting Gentile believers. Yeah, that's so important. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, it's just important for everybody to know. So I'm glad you prefaced it with that. Oh, yeah. Um, so then part two of that is this. Uh, what I have found is that you have three dynamics when it comes to understanding um, this this uh, value of relationship between Jew and Gentile. The first dynamic that you have is the person of Jesus, you know, um, really understanding his humanity and his divinity. Jesus, Yeshua, is so emphasized within the Gentile context as powerful, loving, merciful, gracious. There's not, there's almost no emphasis on who he was as a Jewish man. All of the emphasis is on what he did in his divinity. And so there is an unlearning that has to happen within Gentile believers of, man, I've got to be willing to unlearn that Jesus is only his divine nature. I have to be willing to say, what is the culture of Jesus and how do I embrace it without feeling like then once people understand that about Jesus, I say there's tears of embracing. Someone may embrace it like if if you're which which I know you are because I know you're a beautiful wife. Right. You're in an interracial relationship. Yes. There may be things culturally that your wife brings to the marriage, but it doesn't mean you become African-American. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? No, you're it correct. It means that you're embracing and you're loving because not only is it something that uh, is important to you, but the number one human that you love uh, is of this culture and is of this expression. And so it's the same way for us as believers. Some people feel like, man, I want to embrace it to the point to where I emulate it. And then some feel like I want to embrace it to the point and where maybe I'm a distant participant, right? I go to a Seder every now and then. But what I tell people, regardless of their level of participation, what makes it healthy is knowing that your unique identity from Yeshua was not coincidental. It was not a mistake. Mm, yes, and if you, if you don't forsake your unique identity... You bring a diversity to the kingdom that shows the power of the kingdom. When I think about Romans 11 and being grafted in, there is Discovery Channel did this amazing um, depiction of an actual farm. Where was it, honey? In in New York? No, it was or, a school, a tree that has been grafted with 40 different fruits. It was a tree. It, I think it was in New York, that in Syracuse. So it was mm-hmm. New York. This school grafted 40 different fruits into an olive branch. Wow. And this tree, Toby, is colorful, it's beautiful, and it's almost supernatural looking (laughs) when you look at it. And this tree blows your mind because what it depicts and what it shows is that when we come together as one, regardless of the degree in which you embrace it, when we come together as one of you,
work, you know, if, you, if you've seen the TV, if you got a phone, the Jews this, the Jews that, but to have a real conversation to see Jew, Jew Gentile work together in harmony really brings about a kingdom aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, as you talked about, about not appropriating, you know, not misrepresenting, it's just having the tools in front of you and just allowing, you know, the spirit to move through that. I want to add to what Gary said, uh, what started it to, to answer that question, what really started it was this. Um, we found, and, and, you know, I'm sure you all know this is the teacher in me. People learn in different ways. You have visual learners, audio learners, and you have kinesthetic learners. Kinesthetic learners are those that learn by doing, by engaging. And what I found was the majority of people have a need for some type of kinesthetic connection. When they do something, it solidifies a lesson or it brings to life the lesson of the teacher. And so having that background in education, I said it's not enough to just talk to people about this. Mm. People have to do something that causes them to feel like they're a qualified participant in the things related to the kingdom of God. Um, When we start each of our seders, what we say to preface it is that what we're about to do is heaven's holiday, right? You know, the the term biblical feast, term appointed time, some of those terms can can be very foreign within Gentile context, but in the Gentile churches, there's all of these holidays, right, that are celebrated and expressed, but they don't have origins in heaven. And so without making anyone feel threatened about their holidays, what we say is we're enhancing your relationship with the Lord by creating an opportunity for you to experience one of heaven's holidays. What are heaven's holidays? They're biblical appointed times. And when we have these, they always point to who Yeshua was, is, and is to come. It gives us the whole story. Every single appointed time ties in the whole story of who Yeshua was, is, and is to come. And when we set this table, it makes everyone there feel um, seen and understood. And I don't know any other spiritual service, event, or practice that can meet everybody's needs and touch all of scripture like appointed times do. And so because of this, what happens is we see three things. We see Gentiles experiencing, touching these elements on the Seder plates and tables or at Shabbat, uh, partaking in the blessings in the kitchen. And they're floored because they feel like I'm doing something Jesus did. And in the 90s, we all had those what would Jesus do bracelets and visors and shoestrings and hoodies, right? (laughs) Now I'm actually doing what Jesus did. And, and that experience kinesthetically opens up people's senses spiritually to be more receptive. The second thing that happens is we have experienced what I call a new wave of Jewish evangelism. And this is what I mean by that, right? There are Jews within churches that have forsaken their Jewish identity because they were told once they became saved, they were what? No longer Jewish. Well, when we have several of these people come and experience a Seder with us, they feel something inside of them being stirred that they've forsaken. I was always told I couldn't do this, but here you are, this ministry, Gentile ministry saying, 
not only is this necessary, but this enhances my relationship with the Lord. So we see Jews not just getting saved, but them returning back to their cultural identity. And then the third thing that happens at these events with the power of God being demonstrated is it brings about an evangelistic context to where we've had one Seder where a non-believing Jew gave their life to the Lord because we made room for a call to salvation in the middle of the Seder because all things in the Seder pointed to the ultimate you know, uh, uh, the sacrifice of this Passover lamb, Yeshua, you know, and, and, and what that means to be partakers in it. And so when we really broke down kinesthetically what the doing does, uh, returning Jews back to their head, exposing uh, non-believing Jews to something that can bring them into the kingdom, we said that we've got to make this the epicenter of what we do. with the, This covers every base. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, since we're on kinesthetic learning, uh, do you mind telling the the, the candle story? Do you remember when I, um, where y'all had brought a bunch of candles? Uh, oh do- yes, Chicago. Right. Yes. yes. Probably my favorite oh. story of, of y'all. Oh man, it is actually one of mine too. See, Rabbi John, you're, you're still winning. You're at the top of the list. Come on, come on. So. I uh, had the blessed opportunity. I'm actually from Chicago. I was born and raised on the west side of Chicago, Illinois. So it's a place that I'm indigenous to and it's near and dear to my heart. Um, But there's a lot of brokenness in Chicago. And so I was asked by a dear friend of mine that has a ministry out there um, in Chicago to come and just do a teaching on the power of the table um, and to really introduce her people to the table. And she said, I don't know how they'll be receptive to it. She said, I want you to teach it and I'm going to go to the store and maybe buy four sets of Shabbat candles just in case anybody feels moved and wants to then uh, begin to do Shabbat in the way you're teaching it. And I want to add this because this brings a PS to something David asked in his question too. There is a fourth thing that our events do is by honoring the Jewish believer it gives this this tone of honor and, and respect to the event that's happening and typically in the kingdom there's there's competition right Mm -hmm. you know this pastor this rabbi is trying to maintain their their members or their attendance or their tithe and there's sometimes this competitive nature that really can prevent just a humble honor from entering into the room and when they see the way that jewish believers are honored uh for being um cultural leaders and in gentiles understanding these truths it also just shifts the atmosphere. It's like everybody is like, wow, if somebody came to my home and wanted to emulate one of my traditions but didn't honor the way we did it, right. it would offend me. And when they see us restoring that honor by doing it with Jewish believers, uh, it, it just it's, it's just a different type of tangible anointing that comes into the room. So fast forward, when I'm teaching it in Chicago, I teach it with honor, right? I teach it, hey, this is how I've learned it from my Jewish brothers and sisters. These are ways in which you can make it unique to your home, but this is how I learned it. So I taught on the table, gave the origins of it, and then I had them do some live demonstrations. I had them go around and bless one another. We we took partook in the elements. I had 
the men serve and the women serve and in urban communities, you'll have about, I had, it was maybe about 40 women in there and four men. I remember it specifically because I asked the men to come forward to, to bless the bread and to bless the cup. And there were only four of them. And so what I did was I said, you, you know how at the end of, of you know, a uh, Shabbat service or Torah service, there's this father that outstretches his tallit and his family comes underneath. Right. Um, well, you can't do that when 90% don't have <laughs> you know, that father present. Right. And so what I did was I had the men come up and I had them collectively bless everyone. But then I broke them into their individual families and, and said, you know, these are the traditional blessings that are done. But I want you all to take it a step further and bless one another specifically. You begin to see parents crying. You begin to see uh, just the, the room shift. And a woman came up to me and she said, I have never known my son to have a voice until you introduced this Shabbat thing. She said, this gave my son of what he blessed me. He felt heard. He felt seen because of this table. This, this Shabbat, what is this? So at the end, and this is, this is Rabbi Jonathan's favorite part. I, I bring up the four sets of candles and I said, all right, um, if anybody was, was moved and, and wants these, this is a gift from your leader here. People flooded the altar like I was giving away free money. <laughs> and it was so bad. People were like, we'll just take one candle. They were like, we don't, it, I mean, there wasn't enough to give a family a set. People were just taking one candle. So I had to break it down for them and said, listen, 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 listen. There's nothing magical about these sets here. You know, you can get your own sets. I said, even if you just have two bath and body work candles, you know, you know, use what you have. The Lord's not into to legalism. He's into you wanting to enter into his rest and what he provides. And then I point them to, hey, you know, this was Chicago. So I said, hey, you've got a dot, uh, 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 Hatikva, which is Rabbi Jacob Rosenberg's. It's in the suburb of Illinois. But I was like, hey, these are places you can go to get more resources, to learn more information um, so that you can go even deeper in your understanding of what this table can do for you and your family. And so, you know, that that's that's one of my favorite stories of how people are hungry for this, because like Toby said, I think what differentiates those two groups of Gentiles are actually experiencing a hands-on demonstration right. and seeing that power in your family. Gary and I can't oh, yeah. tell you enough the testimonies we get when we do these tables like we're doing this Friday um, in, in urban communities. I, I don't want to get to get ahead of myself, but the testimonies are will have you in tears. Yeah. And when people experience the power of the table, and they feel like they're a qualified participant as a son and daughter of the Lord, that they have a place and an inheritance, that they matter at the Lord's table. It shifts their desire to receive spiritual truths and even want to process and break down the word. Uh, it, it just it really um, causes people to say, I was given up on the church and the congregation, but the table is more relational than the pulpit. Right. I think and that's it's, I think that's a great place 
for us. I've got so many more questions, and, and the other rabbis do also, things we want to talk about. So I'm hoping that we can go ahead and do another episode with you guys that we'll record right after we finish this. But I think that's a great place for us to take a break. And before we do and close this out, I wanted to make sure we gave our listeners an opportunity to know how they can connect with you, what your website is, how they can support your ministry, and, and those kind of things. So if you'll take just a moment and, uh, and share that information, and, uh, and then we'll go ahead and uh, end this episode. But we're going to uh, immediately afterwards reconnect to do a second episode because I have a whole list of questions that we haven't got to yet, and I want to make sure we cover them. Awesome. Thank you, Rabbi. And I, I just want to echo that uh, Gary and I are, are so blessed to have this opportunity. Our family, our entire family, the Scott family, are fans of Messy Antics podcast. And our daughter's favorite episode was the Hanukkah episode. She's sent it to her friends um, and told people about it. So our whole family uh, enjoys the work you all are doing and, and keep doing this, this great work. But how you can find more about us is our website is www.theroadtojerusalem.org. The Road to Jerusalem.org. We're also on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and we don't do much on Twitter. So you can stick to Facebook and Instagram, but our handle is at The Road to Jerusalem. There you can catch updates and find more information about the things that we're doing. Um, and also feel free to send emails and tell us about what you're doing and, and how we can partner and pray. Uh, for for those of you out there listening as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this episode today. Uh, we hope you all will join us uh, for next week's episode. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, Gary and Petra, sorry, <laughs> Gary and Petra Scott with us here next week um, as well. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast.